Hello, and welcome to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. I'm your host, Nicole, aka Nomad Neeks, and this podcast is the place to be if you are looking to start creating a lifestyle that you love. From business, entrepreneurship, travel, starting and sustaining a digital nomad lifestyle, and of course, making money online and investing, we talk about all of it here. So let's dive into it. Welcome back to another episode of the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. In today's episode, I sit down with Janessa Finley Ford. She is an empowerment coach and went from supervising felons to marrying one, which is not what most people think. After turning the most challenging experience of her life into what saved her relationship and liberated her spirit, she now empowers people to heal from the criminal justice system, addiction, and their relationships. In this conversation, we dive into Janessa's story, and wow, it is such a powerful one. I have truly never heard a story that comes anywhere near what she has to share. So we dive into that how she has become a better person from that. And of course, we dive into the Enneagrams. I wanted to have somebody on the show who is an Enneagram expert, and that is Janessa. We talk about the nine different types of Enneagrams, which I love the Enneagrams. I think they are so, so accurate and such a good representation of a person. And then we dive into how each Enneagram does business best and what business looks like for each unique Enneagram. So let's dive right into it. Janessa, welcome to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. We're going to dive right in because we have a lot to talk about today. So before we get into speaking about the Enneagram, which is something I'm really looking forward to diving into more with you as the expert here, before we get into that, why don't you tell us a little bit about your story, where you started, and how you got to where you are today? Well, I started on a farm going to a one-room schoolhouse. I just want to throw that out there because that's not most people's story. There are seven students, and I was the youngest, no other kids in my class, and went from rural Nebraska farm life to the criminal justice system. I started working in a prison, probation, drug court, and then I worked for the Department of Homeland Security. So almost a two-decade career. Along that path, I really was passionate about helping people, but I felt like there was so much more I had to give that I wasn't able to do within the criminal justice field. And so I started studying energy psychology and mindset alignment. And that is where the Enneagram actually was introduced to me. Like it chose me. I didn't choose it because when I first got in contact with the content of what is the Enneagram, I'm like, oh, this is just like an excuse people use to say that I just am the way I am and then like limit themselves in their personal growth, which actually... I mean, we all have a choice, right? Like some people can do that, but there's so much room for growth within the Enneagram. It's amazing. But I like to throw that in there because I wasn't an instant believer of the Enneagram. I had to learn it and see how fascinating and accurate it was to get on board with it. I started doing relationship coaching in a business while I was also working as an officer for the Department of Homeland Security. And then last year, my life just completely got turned upside down um, on Valentine's Day of all days. An FBI agent was outside of my home taking pictures. I didn't know that this person was an FBI agent. And um, I went out and spoke with them and I could tell they were lying to me and I could tell they really didn't belong there. 
And then I came to learn that it was an FBI agent investigating my significant other. And so here I am working for the Department of Homeland Security and questioning like, am I credible safeguarding and defending our country while potentially being engaged to a felon? And can I help people with their own relationships while my relationship is going through fire? And so that whole story is a deep, long rabbit hole that if people are interested in knowing all the ins and outs of it, I share it on my blog and my radio show, and I welcome you to come have your eyes open like mine were from that experience. But we, you know, I, having been in the criminal justice field, thought my significant other was guilty right away until I started looking into the evidence of stuff and I had to remove my own bias from the equation to really be able to see truth. And in that, you know, like, can we trust each other and what is really going on here? The Enneagram was so powerful for us because my personality type is that of wanting to be a perfectionist. And if you marry a felon, you certainly are not perfect. Your life doesn't look perfect. Nothing is perfect here at all. And he is a very honest, forthright personality type. There would be other Enneagram types, I would be a lot more questioning of whether or not what was being told to me was really the truth. But since he is an Enneagram 7, they are very, very honest and, you know, direct about things. And so there was a lot of um, give and take through the process of his investigation and what turned into accepting a plea agreement and where we are today that was dependent upon just really understanding our personality types and what each of us needed because I believed he to, he was guilty because of being in the system at the beginning. And so I made safe space for him to be honest. And I was like, well, you know, if whatever drove this behavior is addressed, we're all human. We make mistakes. It's more important to me what we do with that versus um, the fact that we made a mistake. But I was like, I just need to know we're going to come out better and not bitter on the other side of this. We we had been dating before I ever learned the Enneagram. When he learned like my personality type is wanting things to be better a little bit more each and every day, he looked at me and he was like, uh, that sounds horrible and exhausting. <laughs> but having that understanding then when we went through this incredibly traumatic and difficult time when I stated that was my need, he knew, you know, he knew that like, that's how I'm programmed. And it really was going to be like, she will stay with me and be committed, but we can't be stuck in this forever. Like we have to move forward and we have to allow ourselves to be refined into something positive and maybe that sounds like a lot of work, but if so, then I know that this is really going to be a, a make it or break it point for us. And it wasn't um, where either one of us were taking things personally. So his needs weren't like, oh, I'm personally lacking in an area or um, he's saying that I am not enough. You know, I used to, before I knew the Enneagram, that was a lot of the story that would run through my head. Just having that fund fundamental understanding of the person, you know, that I was partnered with 
was a game changer in getting through such a stressful and trying situation. Wow. And that really just, I mean, I'm sure we'll dive into this more, but it goes to show you the power of knowing yourself. And I think the Enneagram can really help with that and not only knowing yourself, but knowing the others around you as well. For me, I love the Enneagram, not that I am an expert on it by all means, that's why you're here. But I love it because it gives me kind of a baseline to when I meet somebody or when you know I, I have a partner or a close friend or something like that, it kind of lets me know just off the off the bat how best to interact with them, what their personality is like. It gives me a little bit more insight, of course, not the whole picture by any means. Um, but I kind of like it for that reason. Um, but before we dive into the Enneagram, I'm actually curious, what were some of your key takeaways from the experience that you and your partner went through, whether that be takeaways with the Enneagram, whether that be takeaways from the justice system in the States, like anything at all. Obviously, you can't go into your story. It's very long, I'm sure. But I want to know from that, what were some of the key takeaways that you took away from that experience? Yeah, there are a lot. So we'll hit some of the high points. With my criminal justice career, I really worked with people on the back end. So they had already been convicted. They're in prison. They're in on probation. Um, people who had been on probation a multitude of times, like this is the last chance before you go to prison. So very different repeat criminalistic tendencies versus my significant other who had no criminal history, educated, like a whole different side of the system. And if you want to say criminal, which I don't think is really fair to classify when people know the whole story, but um, regardless, very different. My awareness of the criminal justice system changed dramatically. I was subpoenaed to testify against him because at the time we were not married. And when I went into that interview, they claimed that it was all about prepping me as the person to be interviewed, the witness. And it was very little about that. They were really trying to build their case. And I had researched tons of evidence that I presented that punched a lot of holes in the case. The whole process of just not like they, they gave me space to talk about it, but then they asked me if I felt better. And I just was like, what's going on here? Like, I thought we were all on the same page of like truth and justice. And little did I know that the plea agreement had been set to the defense attorney before I ever went into that interview. And so anything that I shared that didn't support the prosecution actually didn't go anywhere within the investigative process. So then I started researching the number of wrongful convictions, which is actually 20%. And that's not people who take plea agreements because they don't have the resources to fight it. They are told that they're going to get probation instead of prison or, or factors like that. Like that's not even included in the 20%. And I was completely unaware of all of these things prior to that. I thought the criminal justice was made of people like me and we all wanted truth and justice and to help people. I was very focused on helping people. Um, so that was one of my takeaways. Um, as you hear me talk, we ended up getting married. Another takeaway through all of this was what is really a problem in a relationship? <laughs> like, It is not who takes out the trash or who's cleaning the shower. Like the things that used to trip us up in our relationship dissolved, melted away. Um, we were very independent. And so there was a culture of me over we within our relationship that flipped throughout this whole situation and we became a team. Um, our relationship got vastly stronger and we both came to the point, although we did question it several times, that 
what is best for us? Is it to stay together or not? But we realized that if we can get through this, we're going to get through anything life throws our way. Another huge, two other really huge takeaways for me is that our mind is actually the greatest prison we'll ever be held captive in because our thoughts, our judgments, the way that we see the world, like it can change in the drop of a hat. It did for me just in that interview of what is the justice system and how does it really work? Labeling things as a problem in a relationship when actually, hey, there's solutions actually to a whole lot of problems if you choose to see the solution rather than the problem. So mindset is huge in everything in life, period. And then lastly, huge takeaway from it was that relationships are often viewed as being a source for our greatest pain. When in all actuality, you know, we do get hurt in relationships. That's very true. But when we approach it with it being an opportunity for our deepest healing, there is far more benefit that will come from relationships than there ever will be pain. You're right. It totally puts everything in in your relationship in perspective, in your mindset in perspective. Like you spoke about, you know, your mindset is really what controls everything. And then also, you know, the country you live in and the system that you are a part of and you think you're doing good. And I talk about this a lot in my world through governments and how a lot of them aren't really there to serve you. Uh, That's why I don't live in a Western country. I probably never will again. So I talk about it in kind of a different perspective than you, but it is really interesting to hear your perspective and that that's one of your takeaways there. So thank you for sharing all of that. So with that, let's dive into the Enneagram. Where do you want to start? I'm going to let you take the lead. It's a personality typing system and there are nine different ways, or I like to call them filters, that people are predisposed or pre-programmed to see the world. And within the nine types, it gets broken down into what are called triads. And so there's three types, like two, three, and four make up the heart center. And the main emotion that they experience or that fuels their personality is shame. They feel the most, like they rely on that intelligence center of the heart to be their main guiding intelligence system. And then the five, six, and sevens are our head points. And the energy or emotion that fuels their personality structure is fear. And of course, being a head point, they're rational and logical, and they allow their brain or cognition to drive the bus and their, you know, navigating of the world. And then the eight, nine, and the one, they are the gut points. And the gut points have the beautiful, amazing energy of anger to fuel their personality type. The other thing about the gut points is that they often have that gut instinct. I'm a gut point. I'm a one. I'll just put that out there for all the listeners who are familiar with the Enneagrams may have already identified that a little bit in my intro with the be better every day. But it sounds like, oh, intuition, that'd be so nice Like to have that gut knowingness The gut points often will have that nudge and then let their head talk them out of it. And so they will mirror the the head points a little bit in that regard because they'll trump the intuition with what is logical, which doesn't often serve them well. We can all become very agitated with ourselves when we don't understand why we do the things that we do. And the Enneagram is really insightful to lifting that veil or the judgments that we have about ourselves 
and to have that understanding of, oh, this is why I do that. So if you look at the Enneagram, it's a circle and these lines go in all different directions for anyone who pulls up the symbol of the Enneagram. My goal in working and coaching with people using the Enneagram is to really move them away from their default programming into the center of the Enneagram where they can access the positive characteristics of all of the types. So they're not just set into like this default knee-jerk response. So for instance, if you had met me five or six years ago, we're having this interview and one of my responses, if you had said like, Janessa, that's such a bad response, I would have just like melted and died inside. Like, oh my gosh, I did something bad. (laughs) My business partner, who also knows the Enneagram very well, like sometimes she'll say those phrases, just like we joke around. It's fun. Like this is the other thing about the Enneagram is when you get to know it really well, it's such a source of humor. And so she'll kind of like try to make a joke and I'm, I'm just not reactive because I've done enough of my personal growth work that like it doesn't actually have a thorn there to prick anymore. And I'll just laugh about it. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that might have been bad in the past, but now it just is. I'm also a very efficient person and my significant other will plan for every possible thing that could go wrong to go wrong. Nine types, right? And then we just talked about the triads. So we have the heart points and shame, the head points and fear, and the gut points and anger. So then getting into each of the types. So you said you were in eight. Let's start with the gut points then. We'll start at eight. (laughs) Yes. I'm so curious about to learn more about the eight, but I know that I don't think I've ever met another eight. I don't know what your experience is. I feel like I meet a lot of twos and threes. I'm surrounded by a lot of threes, which I like. Uh, My partner is a three, but I don't know. I feel like I never meet too many like eights or nines or anything like that. (laughs) So let's start there. Yeah. That's very interesting. I think it's interesting to see what people attract into their life. People have studied the Enneagram for, you know, like almost their lifetime. You can get into it really, really deep. And you can get so much from it without getting into it really, really deep. But I do just want to share because of what Nicole commented about, we take on the characteristics of two different types, one type during times of growth and then another type during times of stress. And so for Nicole, the type that she moves into during her time of growth, the two is a type that she attracts into her life a lot. I, as a one, happen to do the same thing. So I move into the type seven in my times of growth, and I attract a lot of sevens. Two of my best friends are sevens. My husband's a seven. My mom's a seven. Like I have sevens everywhere in my world. And I feel like it's a reminder of the potential of how life can be flowy and fun and free for me when I step away from my rigid programming of sorts. So I always find it so intriguing when people tell me what their type is and then what they see in their life around them a lot, because oftentimes it is that reminder of what keeps them in their, this is not my language, it's Enneagram language, the higher functioning or the low, like your strengths, we'll call them strengths and weaknesses and your strength traits. The other thing you might find interesting if you didn't know this, the eight, the female eights actually get kind of a bad rap because It's very masculine energy. It's the most masculine personality type within the Enneagram. So there's a lot of force energy and they're 
great leaders, managers, they don't like control. So they'll exert control so that they don't feel controlled. But when you mix that in with the biases of gender and how we view women as being approachable and, you know, receptive and all of that, innate tendency with female eights is to kind of be more repulsed. I don't really love that word either, but I'm thinking in terms of a magnet where you're drawn to something or you naturally move away from it without even thinking about it. That is the way in which I am explaining that like repulsion. And I don't, I don't know the right science word for it, but no, it's interesting you say that because I do know that eight is very masculine and I do feel like, you know, I know what I want and I'm going to go for it. And I don't, care what you think sometimes, which I should sometimes. I should take other people's opinion into consideration more um, in some cases. But what you said totally just describes me. But I do think as a female, there is kind of like a balance because women are seen as, you know, being nurturing. And I have a friend who's a two. And for me, I look at her and I'm like, she is really like, she will be a great mother. I don't want any part of that. You know, I want to grow my business and I want to work hard and I don't know if I want kids. That's not on the radar. Um, so it is, I think for females specifically, a very interesting type, but yeah, let's go into it um, with all of them, not just specifically eight. <laughs> we'll start with, I think you said, what was it? The gut ones. Yeah. So I've had two mentors as eights in my life. I feel like I have a pretty good handle on what it would be like to be around you for a longer period of time in your capacity. But the eights, I feel Hopefully like are going to be one of the types that, yeah, it is, um, that will enjoy that travel lifestyle, entrepreneurship, being in charge of themselves, being free, being untethered, making their decisions, like you say, knowing what you want and being able to make it happen. Those things come very naturally for that Enneagram eight. The one thing that as far as like leading into business and how you can make your business uh, or how you can show up in your business to make it work for you better will be to understand that not everyone thrives in confrontation. There are actually different types that absolutely loathe confrontation. So finding that it's no big deal. Let's just have a conversation about it. Energy when you approach challenges in business will serve you very, very well. And then it's not always natural to be sympathetic or empathetic for the eights. And so being able to develop and hone that will serve very well in business as well. The one other thing on a physical standpoint for eights to watch out for is burnout. They are the one personality type that will just work and work and work. Like they don't feel the exhaustion physically in their body. So they don't have a gauge for it and they will legit burn out. Yeah, I have experienced that. Oh my gosh. Thankfully, I haven't experienced a really horrible burnout. But for me, and I love you mentioned this because it's so spot on. I think any eight will probably feel the exact same way what I'm about to say. But I just will keep working because there's a job to be done and it needs to get done. And even if it takes me, you know, all night or whatever it looks like, like I am very, it needs to get done. And there's something to be said for like ebbs and flows too, right? So you can work in those spurts, but then also honor that after a spurt, it's not a marathon, it's a spurt. And there is some time to rejuvenate from that. So what is a, a growth edge or a weakness can pretty easily be made a strength when you're aware of how you're 
programmed. The next type, oh, and also the eight is called the, well, there's a couple different researchers. So my labels might not be the exact same because there are a couple different names for each type, but I am going to refer to the eight as the protector. And so then the nine, the nine is our peacemaker. They are the opposite of the eight. They hate conflict. They actually like have a ton of inner turmoil. If there's conflict with someone around them, that is how much discomfort they feel with conflict. And so they will avoid conflict like the plague. So for those personality types that thrive in conflict, they'll be very annoyed with the peacemaker because they feel like they're spineless. They're not. They just perceive the world completely different. Um, the nines are great at seeing both sides or any side, every side of every situation. They struggle in business. I was trying to think of how to frame this because of their avoidance to conflict in, in business and potentially challenges within business. It may be harder to really get into the root of the matter of what's driving that business challenge because they might not be able to address it like head on if they think it's going to create conflict. The other thing about the nine is that they really merge with whatever personality type they're with at the time. So they don't really love to make decisions, which can make business really challenging for them. And so if you're with a nine and you're just talking about grabbing something for lunch, the conversation will go like, hey, where do you want to eat? And the peacemaker will be like, I can find something anywhere. You decide. So if you leverage that side of your personality too much in business, it's going to be that you're not actually building your business on who you are at your core fundamental space. You're going to be like, if you have a business coach, it'll be really easy for you to merge with the principles that that business coach believes in rather than checking in to see, does this align with me? And is it a true expression of who I am? It often, often guide the nines to use the, is it a heck yes? Like check in with yourself. Is this a heck yes? And if it's not, then give it some space to reconsider. Don't just do something because it's a great idea um, based upon someone else's suggestion. So uh, the next type is the last gut point, which is the one, the reformer is their name and their kind of perfectionistic, like I had talked about in the intro, eights make, if you're working for someone else, eights make great bosses, CEOs, ones make great managers, leaders as well. The eight has the most force, like I talked about in the personality structure of the Enneagram. The ones are a close second. Um, I like to say when it comes to burnout, like eights just run straight off the cliff. They don't see the edge of the cliff and they just keep going. Ones see the cliff. They tiptoe to the edge of it. They lay down at the edge of the cliff with one leg and one arm dangling off. Like they won't go to full burnout, but they are super close. Um, so if you're in business as an Enneagram one, you also need to be aware of the burnout component. While it presents a little bit different for you, you can get your plate yourself to a place where you have nothing more to give because you're just on the edge of burnout for such a long period of time. Never quite going to full burnout where you have to stop, but being really, really close. As you might be able to feel within the energy, that was very real for me for about three years of my life. So as I talk about that, I can actually feel the physical response in my body because 
it's a, it's a real thing. Ones are also, they have this inner critical voice. And so everything gets filtered through this voice of criticism of themselves, self-judgments, about other people, judgments, looking at what is wrong, what is lacking. And so if you're in business and you're critical of the people that you're serving, they might not feel so great (laughs) about that relationship with you or the service that they're getting from you. So just easing up on the perfection and the critical voice and, you know, the mindset that I talked about in the beginning, like that really just is so clutch for everything, having discipline within that mindset to see what's abundant versus what's lacking, to look at where you can improve as exactly that. Like it's an area to improve. It doesn't mean that you're imperfect and you're a failure and you're horrible and you're bad. It's just a space with a growth edge. So those are our gut points. Are, uh, you see the anger presented differently within the nine, one, and eight, just because they all have that anger fueling their personality does not mean it's expressed the same way. In fact, largely it's suppressed because eights believe, or sorry, not eights, nines believe that the anger will create conflict. They don't want to express the anger. So or their opinion much, they'll suppress the anger until it's like a grenade that goes off. And the ones, you know, if they're angry, that makes them bad and they don't want to be bad. And then the criticism combined with the anger can really be internalized into very harmful expressions of that anger. Enneagram ones, actually from the research I was trained in, are most prominent to eating disorders. So it can really become a very self-damaging type of dynamic between that anger and the suppression of it and the criticism. Let's move into our heart points. The two, we'll start with the two, which is the helper. The heart-centered points, the two, the three, the four, I love to mention to them that especially in business, asking yourself what is logical will really be helpful for you especially when it comes to finances, because not all of the heart points have a personality type that they take on in times of growth or in stress that goes to the head point, the logical center. They kind of have to check in and coach themselves through accessing the logic and using intelligence center since it's not pre-programmed. They're very much driven by feeling and emotion and that is not always the best space to make decisions in when it comes to business. Twos tend to have this uh, habit of putting themselves last because they're the helper. They're so busy helping everyone else out that taking care of themselves is incredibly selfish to them. Like if you suggest to an Enneagram two to go get a massage, they might like cringe or just absolutely not be able to. Those aren't the best gifts to buy the Enneagram two. Uh, they'll have a hard time actually doing that. Um, as you indicated, they are very nurturing. They are the most feminine energy within the Enneagram, which does make them nurturing in that regard, very caring. It's a very soft and gentle energy. I find it to be very cozy uncomfortable. Um, I love my Enneagram 2 friends. Things to also watch in business for Enneagram 2s is the tendency of being too nice, of pleasing others, of not necessarily being really centered within yourself in making your business decisions, 
or building your business from that space because you want to accommodate everyone and you want to help everyone. And the reality of it is, is that when we really, and I don't know, maybe this isn't your philosophy, Nicole. So definitely whatever aligns for your audience and what you're, you're teaching. But typically when we really refine ourselves into an area of expertise, we're actually able to help more people than trying to help everyone. And so being really true to who we are and who we're here to serve is actually more successful in business than the approach of helping everyone and overextending ourselves. And twos can also be a little more vulnerable to bullying. So depending upon what the dynamics are with people that you serve or work with, just know that isn't normal. Even though that might be your life story, you don't actually have to endure kind of getting pushed around by people or allow the, I want everyone to like me, so I'm not going to set a boundary with that. Then the threes, which is your your partner, the achiever, they're, these names are given for exactly the reason that they are what they sound like. The threes are the doers. Um, in fact, they feel like in order to gain their worth, they have to be doing. So threes don't always understand what actual boredom is because they're programmed to do so much that if they sit down, they'll potentially feel bored, but that's not actually boredom. Like resting or being is more challenging for them. Um, and of course, they accomplish a ton because of that. In business, specifically, watch the competitiveness of the three, the the achieving. Oh my gosh, the competitiveness of the three. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> I love that. It is. It is so strongly um, programmed in them that watching the I'm not in competition with everyone. I'm only in competition with myself is a good reminder for the threes, uh, especially within business, because if you need to collaborate and you're coming into it with that really strong, heavy handed competitive spirit, it can make collaborations, referrals, that kind of thing, very challenging to build those relationships. Um, the other thing about the threes that I like to coach, even just from a cognitive space and not an energetic space, is that the threes, for whatever reason, are programmed that they feel like telling people what they want to hear is more powerful for the relationship than telling people what they actually truly believe or think. And it comes from the space that threes feel like they, you know, wear a mask in the world and need to show up as this person, not like the twos that appease, but to show up as this person that fits in, that's acceptable toward other people. And so they'll say, what they think will help the other, like what the other person wants to hear. And they only feel really comfortable taking that mask off when they're alone, home at night, what have you. And so a major growth edge for the Enneagram 3 is just never wearing the mask. Just having that freedom to really truly be who you are and show up that way everywhere and let people love you for who you are. There is nothing that you need to project or tell someone that is going to make them find you more acceptable or loving, or that's going to build a stronger relationship than just being you. So then the Enneagram 4 is our individualist. The other typing system calls it the romanticist. So think hopeless romantic type personality. They're very creative, uh, typically artsy. 
they do not like ordinary at all. They're very creative and they avoid mundane, make it or break it for them. They may have a harder time in business in really like staying in their own lane because they might idealize what others have that they don't. And then they'll want what they don't have versus just what is it that I'm here to really do and serve, create that type of thing. Mundane, ordinary, like it's such a buzzkill for them as well, that if you in business cannot keep your creative flow flowing, you're really going to struggle. So, you know, Enneagram fours who are in stifling nine to five jobs that are really analytical, they're going to have to have pen and paper so they can doodle or draw or, you know, do things that reprieve the creativity even throughout that work day for them. So building that space for creativity within the workflow is super, super beneficial to the Enneagram 4. And they can also be perceived as being withdrawn, moody, or uncooperative. So that's another area of growth for the Enneagram 4 so that it doesn't turn people away when they're deep within their fields because they feel like they feel more than any of the other Enneagram types, even though the twos and the threes are heart centers as well. The threes actually have a harder time identifying emotion than nearly any of the Enneagram types, even though they're a heart center, they're just very busy doing. So that's an interesting fun fact. But the fours, on the other hand, feel everything. And they're also incredibly, incredibly empathetic. So they'll pick up on the emotions of other people before the person feeling it will realize it. It's a like their special hidden talent. <laughs> so then that brings us back to our final triad, the head centers, uh, our rational, logical types. Question I like to coach our head points through is what do I feel? They have the hardest time feeling because they're very much in their head thinking. So we have the five who is the investigator. And these are are very cerebral intellects. They research all of the things, know how things work, why they work, all of that type of interest, natural interest. They are also the most introverted typically of the Enneagram types as well. So they're a little bit more homebody. Within business, sometimes they need to watch, like they might be a little too complex for people because they research things into this area of expertise and they're really down in the weeds with it. Not everybody wants that understanding and you might lose people along the way with that. So really honing that ability to meet people where they are versus spewing all the knowledge that you have onto other people, which might just be a little bit too much. The fives will detach from their feelings in general as well. So they'll have a harder time expressing empathy. So depending upon what kind of business you're in, and if that's part of your relationship building with clients, customers, whatever, just be aware that's a growth edge where leaning into the feelings and empathy can really help the relationships. And then fives, because they're so introverted, can be perceived as isolating, being very secretive. So that's another area of finding the ability to connect with others in a balanced way where you can build those relationships and rapport, allow clients to connect with you, get to know you, feel safe with you is really going to be beneficial because the fives feel like 
internally, they don't have enough resources to connect with people all day long in that way. And so really, if you're in control of your schedule, you know, building your schedule around how that allows you to both show up for other people and then rejuvenate as you need to. Type six is the loyalist. And they are exactly that. They're loyal. If you have friends from like elementary school, probably they are a loyalist. They are those long-term people who will be loyal to a fault. Um, even in toxic type relationships, they'll stay the path because they're programmed to be loyal. Or in like a corporate work setting, loyalists will uh, let promotions pass them by because they don't want to outpromote their peers. So the loyalty will show up in that manner. Loyalists really want safety and security in the world. And if they heard me talking about the voice of criticism with the one, the Enneagram sixes have more of a committee, an internal committee that may also be kind of critical. Um, but that committee also loves to poll the population. They want to know what everyone would do and think about a situation. And so using that as a growth edge within your business, learning that trust, because we're pulling everyone, honestly, because trusting ourselves as an Enneagram 6 is a challenge. And so developing that self-trust that you can rely on yourself, you know the way you have that inner guidance system is going to be so powerful for you to really take, I don't like the word control, but be the self-leader that we're all born to be. Sixes also can come across as pessimistic because of the safety and security that they want to see in the world. They will plan for worst case scenario of everything. And so to some people that will be a glass half empty approach to life. And it's really just the way they're programmed to see the world and always be prepared for all of the things that will not happen, but <laughs> it's their thought process. Sixes also deal with the most anxiety of all of the Enneagram types, which is completely natural. If you're looking to the future to predict all of the things that could happen, that does tend to trigger anxiety within the human. That's just the way the mind and body work together. Some of that pessimism within business could turn into thinking that like things are going to be too hard, different aspects of business just aren't worth it, or it's too scary. Dealing with the fear that's within that personality type um, can be more of a mountain rather than a molehill for the Enneagram 6. And then also watching and tuning into, do you have a fear of success? As we talked about with the, the loyalty being to a place of fault sometimes with the loyalists. If you're fearing success, yet you're striving for success, there can be a lot of internal aggravation that occurs from that. And then that brings us to our very final type, which is the seven. They are the adventurers. Um, and this is actually the personality structure of many people, as I mentioned in my life. Um, the sevens are very free flowing people. They don't like a typical nine to five. Um, the Enneagram four also will probably really embrace the traveling nomad lifestyle as will the sevens. It will come very easily for them because they're very spontaneous and flexible. 
and they really value freedom, doing what I want, when I want. I have so many ideas always, but taking them to a place of completion and reaching finalization with those ideas can be hard because there will be more and more ideas and more and more opportunities along the way, and they don't want to miss out on anything. And so they'll tend to jump from one thing to another. So that's something to watch within business is what are the really like really good ideas that you're centered in that you know are for you that you can take all the way to completion rather than getting started just to move on to the next thing and not ever finishing anything. The achiever or sorry, not the achievers, the adventurers are the opposite of the six in being very optimistic driven. Um, Sometimes their optimism is not balanced though. It's a very uh, just unrealistic optimism that actually the, the dumpster fire that you're in is not a rainbow. Like let's look at that for what it is. (laughs) And they will feel like negative. I want to say like negative comments, but like realistic comments of realism is really going to kill their vibe or the Enneagram six will really kill their vibe with just the, I'm going to look at every possible thing that could go wrong scenario. And that will really bring down that adventuring spirit of the Enneagram seven. And that's really uncomfortable for them. So being able to really hold space for other people's challenges without letting it shift your own perspective, your own vibe is a huge growth edge for the sevens which definitely comes into business as well, depending upon what you're doing. Probably not all the people that you serve or work with will always be, you know, super optimistic people. And so finding a way to, instead of being like that person, that case, that client, that customer is not for me, like, oh, that's a joy kill. Finding a way to just reflect back whatever their viewpoint is, let them be them. You can be you. And just really honoring each person for who they are versus just wanting to move away from it. Like that magnet being pushed away. It's super cool to see all of the dynamics. And like I said, the system goes way down the rabbit hole because we have arrows and we have wings and then we have subtypes. Like there's so much more to learn about the Enneagram that truly makes each person, you know, who they are. You can learn and study as deep down that rabbit hole as you want to go. Like I said in the intro, just learning the nine types or even the triads, all of those things will help you build rapport with people, be able to meet people where they are, accept them for who they are, and just create more harmonious relationships. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing all of that. That That's so much insight. And I hope listeners can also identify people in their lives who are like, Ooh, that, that this person might be this number and this person might be this number. And it can really help you to interact with them better, get to know them better on a different level. What should people do with this information? Now that they know what those different Enneagram types are, maybe they've done the test online and they know what theirs is or their partners is or their families is. How do you move forward in really utilizing the Enneagram in your everyday life? I think from a place of just taking the cognitive information. So for people who don't know me well, I'm more into the energetics, um, mindset, energy psychology. Like for me, things in the cognitive space is not where the magic happens because things in our subconscious is really where the powerhouse of making decisions and getting out of our own way, getting out of where we're stuck and out of the ruts really, truly has the biggest bang for the buck. 
But in just learning the cognitive information of the Enneagram, I have to say that the Enneagram is the biggest thing cognitively that I have ever just learned on the surface that has improved my relationships. So what do you do with it now from a cognitive standpoint? I would say learning the ins and outs of what makes you, you, because the more comfortable you are with who you are, the more comfortable you're then going to be able to reflect and project outward to other people. When we're uncomfortable with who we are, when we judge ourselves, when we are anxious, when we are negative, all of these things, we just spew that onto other people around us, whether we intend to or not. It just happens. So once you take this information, I would say do a deep dive into why it is you are who you are. And then if you want to take it an even step further, start refining the energetics, the the programming, like I talked about with the um, iPhone, you know, upgrade so that you're just not in those ruts that come from the personality because our personality is not permanent. There's a lot of, there's a couple different philosophies I should say about the Enneagram, but by and large, uh, you center on the Enneagram is where you will stay. So if you take the test and you get different answers, which typically you get like the top three possibilities or whatever, I think with most of them anyway, it's a reflection of how you're seeing yourself. The modality that I trained in taught that our personality structure is actually imprinted on our soul and our soul doesn't shift actually. And so I use energetics and have a way of finding where people center on the Enneagram that isn't a reflection of how we see ourselves consciously. So it's not a cognitive test online. So if anyone is interested in, you know, taking a different approach to it, an unconventional approach, I'm here for all of the unconventional things in life. You're welcome to join my free workshop and we can figure out what your Enneatype is and get into that deeper And the other thing of what to do, this backtracks just a little bit, but if you, like you have, Nicole, you know, you've identified what your type is, what your partner's type is. There are a lot of resources, even for free online, where you can pair those types together and it maps out for you where your your strengths will lie and then what things will be more challenging as well for those two dynamics. So that's a great way, you know, if there's Maybe the relationship with your mom is more challenging than um, some of the other relationships in your life or a specific friend and you're really wanting to nurture that relationship. That's another really powerful way of taking the information and seeing, well, what are our strengths? Let me focus on that when I talk with them. Let us focus whatever activities we're going to do together to draw out those strengths rather than putting ourselves in a situation where the weaknesses are going to be more prominent. So that's another great way to use this resource to our advantage and betterment. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I'm definitely going to look into that. So wrapping up, where can people find you online? Yeah, they can come to my website, www.fiercelyradiantsoul.com. All one word, Fiercely Radiant Soul. And if you want to hear more about my relationship and my personal story, what I went through in 2022, you can jump over to my blog. I share it all there. Um, I'm told it reads like a novel and it's amazing. So if you're a reader, you'll probably really enjoy it. You can also find my radio show where I talk about all the things seen and unseen and also share everything about the case on the radio show there as well. Then for anyone on Facebook that 
loves a good Facebook group, you can come into Stronger Together, fall in love with you, where the basis is really that our relationships are dependent upon the relationship we have with ourselves, And so we have to start with self first. And you can find lots of great resources and tips and information in there on different ways to support your personal development journey. You've just listened to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. If anything from this episode stuck out to you, I would appreciate if you take a screenshot and share this episode on your socials. Of course, be sure to tag me. Don't forget to leave a review for the podcast that seriously helps out the show and helps it out with discoverability. I would really appreciate you leaving a review, sharing on your socials if this episode truly stuck out to you, and I will see you in next week's episode.